0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Rodeo Time, the podcast. Very special guest today. Hand me that book, Cole. The Lost Cowboy. Don't worry, we found him. Jake, (laughs) good to have you in the house, Rodeo Time Warehouse. Um, Cole, have you read this book? Yep. Cole's read this book, and um, I have not yet, so I'm still trying to finish The Old Man and the Sea. Mm -hmm. I started it in eighth grade, and I'm working my way through it. I found it on audiobook though.
1: Oh, really? So
0: that's helping me speed that up. Yep.
1: This one is next. Well, he's um, still working on the audiobook, right?
2: Yeah. The audiobook, it should be out in a, in a couple months actually. So Yeah. Um we're we're working on it. It's getting close to being done. The guy doing it is uh Devin Riley, which uh he uh he was 93 points on Killer B in Tucson a few years back and uh, that was actually the guy I was listening to rockers podcast and he talked about, there was a, a YouTube video that he learned a bunch on how to set up his rigging and his glove and everything. That was Devin that, uh, made that video. And so he's no longer riding anymore. He had some, uh, health issues, but he's, uh, yeah, he's cranking through it. So it should be out pretty quick. You were
0: listening to our podcast with rocker. Mm-hmm. That a boy. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 93. On Killer B, that uh, that that's not kind of doing it. No, you know what I mean. Like you don't, <laughs> like you don't accidentally ride that one. No, no. That's like, how many people have been ninety on Killer B? Like five? I wouldn't know. But it, less not, than 10. Not, not a lot. Less than ten. Yeah. Dang. Um. Well, that's cool. I didn't realize. So it sounds like he's gonna go ninety three on an
2: audio book. I, I I think he is. I think he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me about the book. Yeah the it's a it's a memoir. It's um it's just kind of a collection of a bunch of short stories. Um, the things that I saw all over the world. I, I spent four years uh, cowboying on six different continents and and just trying to take in the culture and learn learn how everybody else does things. And uh, so towards the end of that kind of journey. I I sat down and I started writing and I'd write a thousand words a day. Um, That was my goal. And so because of that, it kind of ended, most of the stories are about that length. So they're just a bunch of thousand word stories. You can read them in five, 10 minutes and set it down or just crack through the whole thing if you want. But that's, it's, it's just experiences, things I saw all over the world. Tell me about the beginning of that journey. Did you set out to do that or did it? One thing led to another. I, I did not. So I'd, I, I'd always wanted to go to Australia, and I was, um, there was a there was a gal doing the study abroad program. I went to the University of Wyoming, and she was there too. And uh, we had some classes together, and I just half-jokingly but kind of serious asked her, could you get me some work over there? I'd love to go over there and see that, see how they do stuff. And I want to see that country. <laughs> yeah. Or all the bankers and lawyers get to it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so – she uh, at first, she kind of told me, no, she said, all you Americans ask that. And then if I stick my neck out for you and you don't actually go, ah. which in retrospect, now, having been a bunch of places myself, that is pretty true. A lot of people ask, can you hook me up here or there? And you I, I'm pretty hesitant to give my contacts to people because most people don't actually go through with it. Yes. So um anyway, she she finally I convinced her she gave me her brother's. Email And he was running a mustering crew over there, which does just cleaning up wild cattle, basically. Um, the place we were on was a big uh, Aboriginal community, so similar to an Indian reservation here. And we went over there, and we, I just spent four months living out of a bedroll, catching wild bulls. Um, and then uh, that was—I was still in college at that point, so that was over the summer break. And then I came back, finished college— um, took off to Argentina and I just wanted to learn Spanish. I didn't know any Spanish whatsoever. So I, I looked for countries where they speak Spanish, but also there's a lot of ranch work available. So, uh, at that time, Mexico seemed a little bit too scary to just jump into. So, uh, I ended up in Argentina and, um, further uh, away, further away, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, much less, uh, Crime and stuff down yeah. there. It's uh, I love Argentina, but it wasn't until I got back from there that um, my little brother said, "You know, that's three out of the six possible continents now. So why not go for the rest?" And it wasn't until that point, probably a year and a half into doing this kind of stuff, that then it became a goal to get all of them besides Antarctica. That was down. kind of my assumption because
0: <laughs> that's it's 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 a unique accomplishment so i was saying like i bet he landed two or three and then was like yeah maybe there's a couple more i could get
2: yeah Yep. Yep. so how did you get number four um well uh, where'd i go so next was was sweden and um before i went to sweden or in between argentina and sweden i spent a year just building up my own kind of livestock business over here and uh Long story short, that all came just crashing down and I lost the whole thing and I and I didn't know what to do. and it, it was at that time my brother said that to me and it occurred to me that that was when I was really happiest was being out and traveling and seeing new places. And so uh, there was a kind of that one year hiatus in there and then I took off to Sweden. I had met a I was taking a, a ranching for profit course. And at that course, there was a, a girl from Sweden. Whoa, whoa, that, whoa. People do that? <laughs> they, they sure try. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is getting more and more interesting. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but she she had never seen a sheep outfit. And at that time, I was running both sheep and cattle. And so she came and saw it for a couple of days. And she said, if you ever want to come over and see how we do it in Sweden, let me know. And right. Uh, I said, be careful, because I, I will, and, <laughs> and I did.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Tuesday, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: packed. <laughs> yeah.
2: So how
0: long were you in Sweden?
2: I was over there uh, almost exactly 90 days, because that's as long as you can stay on a visa over there. I so got I, you. So I pushed it right to the limit in in Europe, and then jumped on a plane, went to Dubai for a week just to see it. And then I went straight down to South Africa and I spent, uh, about six months in South Africa. Nice.
0: Um, they're a little more lenient on your visa there. Yeah. They,
2: uh, they, I, they did scare me when I got there because some, some countries in, in Africa, you have to be vaccinated for yellow fever uh-huh. and South Africa is not one of those countries, but I had a layover in, in Kenya, I believe. And when I got there, they started giving me a hard time because I didn't have that uh, that card that said I was vaccinated for yellow fever. And it took quite a few, I don't know, probably two, three hours of like arguing with them to let them know that I just had a layover. I wasn't spending time in Kenya.
0: Yeah, that would be scary in another country. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> how was South Africa?
2: South Africa was was one of my favorite places. I mean, as far as a place that r- really changed who I was and how I looked at the world, South Africa was was probably that place that. How changed. so? Um, it was just a, a soul shaking place because I had I had seen. I mean, in Argentina, there's a lot of poor people there, but not like African poor. I mean it, yeah. that that was a different experience for me, but they were also probably the happiest people that I had ever been around, but, but had nothing. I mean, I'd pick, I would drive my work truck. I'd drive this land cruiser to work every day when I was there. And on the days, if it, if I timed it right, I could pick up about 20 of these like five-year-old kids that were, had I not picked them up, they're walking five miles to school, five miles back every day in these like really hot, crappy uniforms that they have to have for, for school and so, just experiences like that. There was a an or, it wasn't a real orphanage. There was an old woman that took on a couple kids that I think were her grandkids, and then she just started growing this herd of kids that their parents weren't around to take care of them. And so, when I went over there, I I brought them a bunch of bunch of stuff when I went, and um, just clothes and things that came from the secondhand store, but. I had two carry-on bags and I've never needed that much stuff in my life. So my second carry-on, I just brought over stuff for those kids, yeah. soccer balls and all that. And uh, But that place was just um, like life is cheap. You see a lot of violence, a lot of people dying. People, um, you know, they don't, they don't really take care of themselves because they can't afford to, but also they're, very okay with the fact that every day could be their last. They're incredibly present in their uh, daily life because it's, they don't make 40 year plans and have IRAs and retirements and things like that. They don't think about that. I mean, they're worried about today, yeah. worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And so that was a really interesting mindset to, to be a part of and be around. So what was the cowboy in like? Um, South Africa? That was, so most of my time was spent on this ranch that was right on the border of this little country called Lesotho. And Lesotho is landlocked inside South Africa, and it's much poorer than South Africa. The reason why it's its own landlocked country is because it's the top of a plateau that when Shaka Zulu, two, uh, two three hundred years ago, he basically took over all of Southern Africa. And when he did that, he could never defeat those people up on the plateau. They'd just throw rocks down on him, and they he could never get up there. So when South Africa became a country, they were not part of it. And so um, South Africa got more and more wealthy and they did not. And because of that, those folks, um, a lot of times there was a lot of livestock theft right there on the border. And so this particular ranch the majority of your job as, as like a herdsman or something over there is you had to count the livestock every single day and you could not be wrong because you needed to know if you were wrong and you told the boss, there was one missing and they spent days looking for stolen livestock. You would lose your job. So so it's mostly just counting and making sure stuff is still there. And then they'd have some of these guys just had AK 47s and they'd just be horseback up and down the border all day, and that was their whole job, was just to make sure nothing was going missing.
0: Um, So that country, they did allow guns, or were they a little bit more
2: like police force kind of people? Um, Guns are very hard to get there. I couldn't tell you if those AKs were legal or not. I got you. Um, I, I did do some hunting over there and a lot uh, a lot of my friends over there hunt and they were telling me it's about a 2 to 3 year process to get one firearm. Yeah. And it's uh, it's hard and you got to go you got to have a safe installed that's bolted to the floor, bolted to the wall. Your gun cannot ever be out of that safe uh, unless you're actively hunting with it. And they would um they would like come sometimes come to your house just to check that that gun wasn't sitting on your cupboard or something. They would just show up and say, show us your guns. And you had to account for them. So there was way more illegal guns in South Africa than there was legal guns. Dang.
1: Yeah. That's different. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so what about number, down to number six, huh? Yeah. I I ended up going to Mexico because uh, I felt a little better about traveling once i had been to all those other places and that that was pretty pretty sketchy i mean everywhere i went besides europe was was pretty dangerous and i, I would not recommend people going there but they um in in mexico the 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 drugs and the, everything happening right there at the border that i mean it was serious and it was every day that you were reminded that it was going on and um yeah we i Probably the scariest thing was I ended up stuck, I, w- I wasn't a part of it, but I ended up in the middle of a gunfight happening in the street down there, and uh, we had, I didn't even realize it was a gunfight. I thought it was kids lighting off fireworks or something. It wasn't yes. until I got home that uh, the my boss's mother, she was just terrified when I got back, and I said, what, what's wrong? What's going on? She said, you don't hear this gunfight yeah. going on outside in the street? Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to lay there below, um, below the windowsill because it was those are all like kind of concrete houses, so you're fairly safe inside there. So I just laid on the floor, and she told me to lay there until I didn't hear any more gunshots, so I didn't catch a stray bullet coming through the window. Uh, that next morning, I started writing this book. Yeah, I started, or at least journaling uh, and write, because I that particular experience made me realize. I don't want to take this stuff to the grave with me and it's a very real possibility that I could. So I should at least start putting it down somewhere. And I never actually intended to write a book. I just wanted it somewhere that maybe somebody could do something with it one day. Right. Definitely. Um. So why not number seven? Uh, after that, I went to m- Mongolia and rode a reindeer mm-hmm. over there and I've, Turns out there's no cattle in Antarctica, and so uh, I'm, I'm not really sure how to get number seven done.
0: Yeah, that'd be a, some good pioneering footage.
2: It would. I think there's uh, two native plant species in in Antarctica, and that is that is the only native things down there. Right. So you got to pack it all down yeah. yourself. Um. Did you uh. Did you video any of it? The video that I do have from it is just kind of iPhone footage stuff. I don't, yeah. I don't have any really good footage of it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, in, in Argentina and, and Australia, well, actually Australia had a GoPro and, um, there, there is a video on YouTube that I put together. It's pretty bad footage, but it, it's wild. I mean, How'd they it, catch bulls
0: down there? Yeah.
2: Um, so there was a few different ways you could do it, but. Um, The most common way was we had either bull buggies or four wheelers and those things were armor plated with big bumpers and you just kind of like a cop car would pit a car and spin it out. They would do that with the four wheelers and knock them over and then just kind of park right up against their belly so they couldn't get up and then you'd strap their feet together or and winch them up onto a truck or uh, if there wasn't a truck coming, we just had these big, long, thick cotton ropes that we'd tie them up to a tree and come back and get them later. Um, that was the easiest and safest way. Uh, we also would pull them down uh, on foot or also on motorcycles. We would, uh, if, you rode up, if you rode up on their right side while they're running, um, you'd grab a hold of their tail and wrap the brush once around your hand and then you just accelerate with your right hand and turn off to the right a little bit to avoid their horns, and that would just kind of skitter them around, and they'd spin out and tip over, hopefully. Then you just had to dump your dirt bike as fast as you could and jump on top of them and get them tied up. Yeah. So it was uh, – we would also just – I mean, really the name of the game was just blowing them out and just running them until they were ready to fight. Yeah. And, and once they would fight you – on foot, if you just kind of stepped around them and pulled on their tails back and forth, I mean, it was kind of a fight, but you could tip them over that way too and tie them up. Listening to you talk about
0: it, I'd kind of rather rope them, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, like, is that how you feel having done it both ways?
2: Uh, they, uh, I think it would be safer. The, the amount of ground that we covered down there, you would have to have a whole truck full of horses right uh, because you've got to run them down first and then um it was I, th- I think total we had six million acres that we were covering so, so just to get to
0: the next bull yeah. would be the part where horses yep. would make it hard yep
2: yeah exactly so they um and and also they don't have saddle horns down there i mean they they ride those stock saddles which uh, so they don't really rope anything down there anyways does I, anybody there's plenty of rodeo cowboys down there that team rope, just like up here, calf rope. But as far as, like, traditional stockmanship in Australia, I don't think they really ever roped anything.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I you're, The the footage th- that you're talking about, I think that's on your YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, I remember, just remember reading it. And it sounds, it's pre- plenty wild just to read, but then to see it, it was like, oh, no. Like you're talking about those uh, whatever bulls down there, it's like you could flick a dime at them and they'd knock it out of the air with their oh, horns. Oh yeah,
2: the bang tanks. Yeah,
1: there. bang tanks. Yeah, the, they're, they're Asian water buffalo, is right. what they are. And uh and yeah, and just getting a hold of them. I mean tailing them down, and it's just this footage where yeah, you really they can't get you if you're holding their tail. But I've never, I don't think I have the guts or the you know what I mean. Yeah, I've never been in a scenario where I was like, oh, I'll just grab his tail.
0: <laughs> I went over there once for. Uh, TBR, mm-hmm. and they were bucking some of the bang tanks. Oh, really? Yeah, them guys didn't like getting on them. I bet. Or maybe it was just this one guy that I knew that drew one. Maybe he had a bad <laughs> attitude. But they said they—he was saying they buck weird. I bet they did. And, but they, but they dang sure. I mean, it was in the draw, and it was it was dang sure different. Like I was on the back of the shoots watching it, watching it. Like it, they sure enough bucked a bang tang on it. I don't know. It was it was different. But like I said, I don't know. Maybe for the most part they are. And then this guy was just bucked off before he got on mentally, <laughs> right. you know, because he he didn't get what he had wanted, but uh, or or but they they
2: look different enough that it seems like they would be. Are they a lot meaner? Yeah, they're uh, they're faster and they have way more endurance than normal cattle, and so they uh, that I never actually caught one of those. They were they were like a. There's parts of, like up in the northern territory. There's more of them where I was on Cape York, which is like far north queensland gotcha and they were pretty rare up there and so that was kind of like the golden egg if you could find one but they they weren't everywhere they were pretty rare
0: pound for pound based on efficiency who who was probably the most efficient ranching wise just in the big picture of ranching
2: um efficiency i would say australians those those big uh stations I think they, like, year-round full-time employees, they could be running anywhere fifty to 60,000 head of cattle with five or six full-time employees. Yeah. But the, so that, we were on a mustering crew, and so rather than having a bunch of employees there all the time looking after those cattle, we would just come in and specialize in in catching them, cleaning them off. Uh, We would give them one vaccination, which was for botulinum, because they're so mineral deficient that they eat bones, a lot of bones. And so that botulinum shot was just to help them. If, if they were eating bones, hopefully they didn't get too sick from it, but otherwise those cattle were brought in once a year. Uh, we would run, we could run thousand, 2000 head throughs and sort the calves off. And the only way we could, they didn't have number tags, nothing like that. So they you didn't have records of anything. So the boss would just sit at the front and, and watch them come by one at a time. And he would just say wet and dry. And if there was a dry cow in there, even if she had weaned her calf the week before, there's no way of knowing. And so for the sake of efficiency, if she doesn't have a bag, she's gone. Yeah. And so we would, but we would do a thousand to 2000 every day for yeah three months.
1: Damn.
2: Um, where did you ranch, here in the states? Uh, mostly in Wyoming is uh, that's home to me. So uh, my grandpa has a place up there, and um, we're a- it's absolutely. Uh, he's more of a cattleman than cowboy. We we raise ha- uh, high altitude bulls, um, low pap score bulls, and that's what we kind of do on that place. But it's way up high. The the ranch is at. Uh, 7,200 feet at at the bottom, but most of the summer pastures are a lot higher than that. So we have to have special cattle that can handle that, that high altitude. A lot horseback or no? Yeah, probably 50, 50. You can't gather those mountain pastures. uh, Yeah. Without horses. I can only imagine. Yeah. But the, um, like we, that's where I learned the majority of things that I know. And it wasn't until I went to these other places. Like we, we don't even rope and drag stuff there. We just farm or brand them because uh, my grandpa's had some wrecks in the past that he wouldn't allow that to happen anymore in his place. So that – I learned a lot about cattle there, but I wouldn't say it necessarily made made me a good cowboy in any way. Did you get to rope and drag anywhere? Um, no, I mean, I've worked on other ranches where we've done it. But, but no. I mean in the other countries. Oh, um, no, no. No, I, I don't think anybody else does that. I mean, I roped some colts in, in Mongolia. We did rope colts and brand them over there. Um, but uh, like Australia, we used a table to brand everything. And it was not the same as tables here. I, it was unbelievable how fast we could do that over there. Three guys, we could get probably three or 400 calves branded, with just three guys in, in, a, in a morning. And it was like a portable little chute that we just had a truck tire in that chute that we'd use. So you would just brand them and give them that one shot? Yep. Gotcha. Yep. And and um, Castrate? Yeah, we'd castrate. And then we'd also use a spoon on their horns, dehorn them. Yeah. Um, but that, so one guy ran the head just cutting horns. One guy ran the back cutting nuts. And the third guy stuck the brand on them and just super fast banging through yeah. them and
1: Dang. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, Australia, what was the town? Ta- Kawanima, or what was it? Kawanyama. Okay, yeah. Uh Just going down there, but even the culture shock, it was crazy to hear you talk about that bar that you uh-huh. you always go to. There was this one bar in this town, and uh, you talk about it and how they had these high prison-like fences on it and everything, and I remember I just looked it up afterwards, and, yeah, it was just, it was just wild country and everything, but what do you uh, – were there any similarities down there in Australia and everything? Like, do you come? Is there a place? Is there a place up here that's kind of as wild as it was down there?
2: Oh, I I don't know. I mean, it was. Uh, I guess I don't know if I've ever been anywhere here that's as wild as there. Yeah. there I did. Um, I spent last summer or two summers ago. I I was up in Alaska yeah. uh, for for two or three weeks and uh, worked. As far as I know, that was the biggest cattle outfit in Alaska. Yeah. And they had this idea that they were going to just, there's all this free land up there. And so if you can graze it, you can use it. Right. Um, So their idea was to to just drive cattle around all summer and get free grass out of it. But so uh, I went up there as like a guinea pig tester to, uh, there's, there's a handful of us that went. But, I mean, there's grizzlies everywhere and moose and, I mean, that was about as wild as I've ever seen in in the US but i I still don't think that that's they're yeah. still just pretty gentle did it scatter. work I don't think it did no. I mean we we went out and uh, scattered too much in the night I don't know that they ever got to where they ever actually tried when I was up there what we were trying to do was find a route that we knew a big enough loop that had grass and water the whole way. Mm -hmm. that you could even try it. And uh, some of those folks up there, I didn't have a GPS. I assumed they did. They did not. And uh, we went out there and just assumed there would be water everywhere, and there wasn't. So uh, our saving grace, uh, we were out there two, three days, no water, and uh, it it finally rained hard. And so we were – us and the horses were just drinking out of puddles. Ended up saving us getting back to the to the main road, but it was um, how many head were y'all driving around? They the plan was I think three hundred head, um, and that that was a big outfit for Alaska because there's no there's no sale barns, there's no uh, like major slaughterhouses, so. You're, you own that whole thing start to finish. I mean, you got to sell every bit of that beef yourself. There's no, you can sell it to supermarkets and stuff like that, but it's not like here where you just raise a bunch of calves and drop them at the sale barn and you're done. I mean, that was a that was a very, uh, 300 head was max that they could uh, get that done with up there.
0: I guess if they could be efficient, they get to
2: capture all that profit, mm-hmm. you know, if they could make it work. How many of y'all were driving them around? There was on that was four four of us, four or five of us. Uh, it was and it was just me and and a bunch of girls. That, yeah. Um. Did a couple girls from down here. Um, no one, wonder you kept getting lost. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Jeez. Of course they didn't have a GPS.
1: <laughs> Gonna be a couple days out here. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. (laughs) Um, Sure, they were nice. (laughs) But they were really good with horses too. Better than me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of horsemanship, tell us about I because I read so you ended up in Mongolia and we just kinda breezed and I'm not trying to spoil the book at all, but you're gathering. Reindeer on a reindeer, Mm -hmm. Sam the reindeer. Oh yeah, we
0: glossed over that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Let's come back to that. Sam, Sam the reindeer said Mm -hmm. he was like the biggest, strongest one out of the bunch.
2: Uh, Dude, how do you even? What's the saddle like on a reindeer? Um, they were they had to make the reindeer saddles a little bit smaller, but they same they were the same idea as their horse saddles. Didn't quite have the wither. No, they didn't. (laughs) And they all they were was just two. They were, I guess, they were probably like one by sixes, uh, the, and then just some bent rebar on it front and back, and that was the frame, like right. the the tree of the saddle. And then some of them had a leather pad on top of it, but uh-huh. it, was, it was you didn't you didn't use <laughs> pad, those, did you? <laughs> no leather pad though. It, it was just sitting straight on the bars of the saddle. <laughs> wow. yeah. That's cowboy right there. It's, it's something. It, it looked <laughs> like a like a like a pack frame that you'd use for packing. Right is, is essentially what they were, but Dang. yeah, they um, they were and actually sent, not all of them, but it was pretty cool. They would take uh, like willow branches or whatever their version of a willow is, and they would heat them up. I think they'd boil them, and then they'd bend that wood into the shape of a stirrup. Oh. And so they were. It was all one piece of wood, right? But it was just. It still had bark on it. Right, it's just a willow branch basically. Dang.
0: Surely you got a picture of this, huh? Yeah. Because,
2: I mean, yeah, we'd like to see
0: it. But also, you got to show your kids one day, look, I worked for Santa. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: yeah. broke, I broke all of his reindeer. <laughs> yeah. Rudolph was a mean. <laughs> uh, man, that's wild. So then what did you, uh, like, did you just kind of have a halter and stuff on their head?
2: Yeah, it, w- it was mostly... Kind of like a, a throat latch. It didn't uh-huh. go around their nose, but it would go from their horns down around their throat. Yeah, how'd and you
0: get that bridle up around
2: all the horns? <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> uh-huh. the, it just stayed on there. It was a piece of cloth because that, that cloth also every family had their own kind of design. And wow. um, so that was also kind of their brand. So it would stay on there all the time. They'd tie these reindeer up at night. So they they never took their halters off or whatever you'd call them gotcha um but they i mean they were nothing too crazy to ride you just kind of hauled their head around right. i don't they couldn't even really trot yeah I mean, it was pretty slow going like just a but fast smooth walk is what it what, seems how like.
1: how
0: big were they what they weigh that they could carry humans
2: i I bet the i was riding the big bull and i, I bet he was like 450 oh probably. he wasn't gilded most of them were really? but but i got the big one because i would but i ain't a big guy but by mongolian standards I, I was bigger than most people so if you were any bigger than me that i don't think those reindeer could pack you around gotcha so um yeah they but almost everything over there was Donnie, your it. mom's out she can't ride a reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> you're in though <laughs> yeah you can it. <laughs> I, sound, I think mongolia sounds like a great place
1: yeah <laughs> Um, so what's it, I know on the cover of your book, it's obviously you riding a buck and reindeer. Mm-hmm. What's a buck and reindeer like? Do they, do <laughs> they, do they get, do they
2: try to get you with their antlers? Like, no, they, surely
0: they buck a little.
2: I, I don't, uh, never had one buck with me. I watched a couple get trained and they just kind of. They just run off, really. They don't, they don't try and throw you <laughs> off. But <laughs> do they tr- do they round pin them and do some groundwork and no no they just because uh, they're handled from the day they're born so they're they're all halter broke and so you can just swing up on onto them and see what happens. I mean, you could really muscle one down on the ground if you if it really started getting crazy. Yeah, but that's an interesting. Just bird man just like on the ground. <laughs> yeah. all right all right boon
0: i've had enough yeah i'm picturing like bringing in reindeers two-year-olds and everybody's cracking them out like all right <laughs> yeah. boys pick your mounts
2: I, they would do that with horses too though like if one started those mongolian guys if they were not happy with how a horse was acting they would just get off and and flat throw them down <laughs> like they were bulldogging a <laughs> the steer. They'd yeah. stick their feet, their leg in between their front two legs. We had a, I got a picture of this, but we had a pack horse that had never been packed before, and I don't know if it ever had anything on it before, and it was pretty wild. And they could not get these right, these uh, panniers or whatever you call them yeah. on this horse. And finally, one of the brothers, one of the Mongolian brothers, we were with. He just stuck his leg in there and tripped that sucker down. <laughs> and they and they just packed him on the ground Dang. and then let him stand back up. Um how long were you there? I did was there for I think about three months.
0: Yeah.
2: Um did did any of these places pay you? Yeah, I got paid in Australia because I had a um I had a, a working holiday visa. Uh, Australia is pretty cool in that way that it's one of the few countries where you can get that one time and I think you got to be under 30 or under 35 and you can stay in Australia for a year and you can get paid and that's actually a big, they call them backpackers down there, but that's a big part of uh, their workforce is Americans, Canadians, and a lot of Europeans. Why do you have to be under 30? The idea is that you get to experience the country and travel around, and, and work, but you can't stay anywhere for longer than three months. Is their rule? So, so they they don't want forty year
0: olds to experience the country.
2: <laughs> no, you're over the hill, buddy. <laughs> I don't That's know. Weird. I just I just know that was their rule. Is they whoa, 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 whoa.
0: 50? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you shouldn't get, you be picking out a plot right yeah. now? You really want to travel? You get the hell out of here. You, get the hell here. <laughs> you old bastard. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. 50. I mean, what, are they getting married at yeah. 10 over there? Deal. the deal.
1: What, um, what about when you were in Argentina, Um, them Hintietas, Gouchers, or whatever, like their rodeo when they... Then bucking horses. Did yeah. you get to be around that? I okay. didn't get yeah. to see
2: that. I d- I did watch some guys break a horse out on the ranch, yeah. and it was kind of like that. But I never did actually get to see them like snub them up to a post and right. And d- I've only seen videos. Yeah.
0: High. Where did you, where did you feel that you were th- the most in danger?
2: I'm sure Mexico the gunfight, but mm-hmm. just like ranching wise, probably Australia. That was the most kind of brushes with uh, you know it was like a daily thing that somebody would get pretty bad hurt on our crew so uh, there was snakes everywhere then they they don't buzz at you like they do here so they they don't buzz here anymore either yeah, yeah well they those I when I went there I asked those guys I said I, I kind of know what to do with a rattlesnake bite but what about these snakes oh you're saying they didn't even
0: got rattles right gotcha
2: and they and I knew they're more venomous than rattlesnakes so they they were they weren't I thought they were joking at first this is day one and they said just roll up a cigarette and go sit in this in the shade and you got about 15 minutes there's nobody gonna come get you or anything so they said it's a 50-50 either it was a false bite right and you're fine or if you got if they did stick it in you then you're you're dead there's nothing we can do about it were there people that they knew that that had happened to. I heard stories. Uh, nobody on our crew ever got bit by a venomous snake. Right. Luckily, but um, yeah, they. It seemed like everybody over there knew somebody that had yeah. been bit like that. But I, I didn't understand how long it took to get to the hospital there because I did come off of a a colt uh, towards the end of my time over there, and it, it knocked me knocked me out when I hit the ground, and uh, I knew I had a concussion just. From rodeo, and I knew exactly what that tastes like in my mouth. And, and, uh, they, I was just gonna get back on my horse. And, and the boss is like, mate, you're, you're shaking like a dog shitting razor blades. You ain't getting back on. You gotta go to the hospital. So we landed one of our little two seater choppers. And I think it took, they flew me an hour back to just the stock camp. And then it was like another, Probably an hour or more in the car to get to this little Aboriginal clinic, which they had nothing there but but Tylenol and ice packs. Really, it was just um, to help, you know, maybe stabilize you. And they said, "Yeah, it's it's just a concussion. You'll be fine. Just don't hit your head anymore for a while." And, but if this was worse, we'd have to call you a plane, and it'd probably be another three four hours to get you to Cairns. Yeah. So you, we were way out there.
0: Yeah. Um. One of you guys probably know this better, and I don't. I I I don't want to offend Australians, so I don't like to ask them. <laughs> yeah. But they, somebody told me a long time ago that Australia was kind of founded on.
2: Where did those people come from? They're Criminals. Yeah, criminals. Right from yeah. Europe. Yeah, from Europe. It was yeah. Uh, they were all felons that they sent over there to, to colonize it. When was that? Oh, I don't know. Probably two 200 years ago. Pretty good like while. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: the Aboriginals were already there.
2: They were already there, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I thought. The,
0: and some of that culture is still kind of around with some of the communities.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The The, the unfortunate part was they, they all got pushed out of the, the places that they were most valuable the coast and everything you know where they were living off fish and everything. So, uh, way out in the middle of nowhere, they have all these Aboriginal communities where where the Australian government has just given given them some land back, like a reservation. Yeah. And um, but that's usually not a nice part of Australia. They're, they've been pushed completely out of all of that, kind of like our Indians. Yeah, With very Oklahoma. similar. But it down there, the interesting part was it it wasn't that, I can't remember how long ago it was, but it Australia was segregated a lot longer than the United States was, really. And it was that, that blew my mind because I, I never read about that in a book or anything I didn't know, but I think it hasn't been too long um, that they they're back integrated into culture, but still most Aboriginal folks are living out in these just really poor reservations. That's crappy. Yeah, it was, uh, and a lot of them have lost their languages, the, the elders, some of the elders can speak it, every one of these tribes has a different language, and it's not being passed on, so yeah, I never met a young, I don't think I met anybody under like 45 down there that could speak their native tongue, it, it was all just English from there on out, so probably within our lifetime, those languages will all be lost. Um, I enjoyed my time over there.
0: Uh, it just, it did seem like a humongous spread out country, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it's got its challenges. Like if you get a concussion on a cult, but I'm sure there's a lot of pluses to it as well. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the relationship with it? Like authority down there. Like you talk about buying them sly beers. Is that what you call them? Sly grog. Sly grog. Yeah. So just cause alcohol is heavily regulated down there. So you can either, you know, go to the one place like that one bar with the prison fences or you buy sly grog, you know, from the guy going down the road. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like as remote as you are in those camps, I mean, what's your chances you are going to run into a cop or a government guy, you know? Um.
2: Yeah, there. I think there was only a handful of cops that we still had to go into a small town to pick up any kind of supplies. Right. And that's where you'd run into them. But yeah, yeah it, w- it wasn't too... I mean, there was all kinds of weird rules. Like pit bulls are illegal down there. Mm-hmm. But every one of the dogs we had for Don't catching bulls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and they would check you. I mean, if they yeah. saw a pit bull hanging off the side of your truck, yeah. they'd stop you and ask you, and everybody had some. They were all pit bulls, but yeah. they all had different excuses for whatever they were that wasn't a pit bull.
1: It was a mixed breed or something. Yeah. It yeah. was a
2: mutt. Some kind of terrier or something. Yeah, and So – but I mean, they would check your car for. There was a guy that got caught while I was down there with it, right. just like a shooter, and it was I don't remember what it was, five hundred bucks or something for Dang. having that shooter and behind the seat of his pickup. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, but, but there wasn't a lot. It wasn't like a daily thing that we worried right. about. It was only in town.
1: Because that's what it. You know, it's just in hearing you talk about it, especially hearing guys. I mean, in just anywhere. You know, there's places where it's. Uh, you know, pass whatever laws you want. You know, when you're out at camp, like nothing's gonna say nothing out there. You know, right. far from the reaches of civilization.
0: If U.S. is freedom level ten, what's Australia?
2: Um, mm, I probably a probably a seven. Really? Out, I mean, out at what Stark. about them other countries? What about Mongolia and Sweden? And- uh, uh, Mongolia is a 10, 11. Oh, really? Yeah. There's just there's no fences, no private land, no. And nothing. you can have guns. I think you can have whatever you want. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that they're readily available like they are here. But it, well, we'll just take some over there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll I make think a you can. It. I mean, they, they all have tons of old Soviet surplus rifles and stuff, AKs and SKSs.
0: Hell of a deal. <laughs> yeah,
2: you can go if you want to buy They call them a gear. Or like a yurt, a lot of people call them a yurt. Here, it's just a, like a canvas tent. And if you want to buy one of them, they're five or six thousand dollars. You can just go live wherever you want in Mongolia. You just go. Just go set it up. Nobody well, can tell you. Well, Roger. Reindeer. Roger, reindeer, cattle, Rager reindeer, cattle No horses. Oh, they got a lot of horses. the The reindeer people were a, like a specific tribe in the north, but I got you. There was more horses in Mongolia than anywhere else I've ever been. Cattleman's paradise to hear Jake tell it. (laughs) Sweden? Freedom level. One. Really? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That was the worst part about Sweden, I think, is just the, like, while we're, hormones are illegal there, roping is illegal there, branding without lidocaine or some kind of pain thing is illegal there. Um, So, cussed with a capital T. Yeah. <laughs> you you couldn't um, fertility test bulls. That was animal cu- cruelty. So we'd go Are you bulls. allowed to cuss? <laughs> I don't know. You might have to ask your mother and <laughs> find out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Mom, can I cuss? <laughs> right. Nope. Dang. Yeah, they uh, the, the EU uh, had vets on staff that could show up at any time and when they showed up you had to stop whatever you were doing and do whatever they asked of you so it would happen all the time there where those they would show up and the people I worked for weren't entirely sure if I was even allowed to be working for them so when those people showed up they told me go find something to do for the rest of the day till they leave but what would happen is you'd have to, they would just pick a bunch of cows and say we want all those in these working facilities And they're going to sit here all day and we're going to put a tarp out and we're going to pick five random heifers or whatever it was. And they're going to stand on that tarp until all five of them piss. Then we're going to test all of that piss for hormones. And nobody's leaving until that's done. And so you would just stop everything you had to do that day to do people really
0: like, okay, like I disagree with. The government regulating the hormones that much, but like it sounds like it's enough of a pain in the ass. Like, do people really even use them over there?
2: No, I don't. I don't know where you'd even buy them because they're illegal. So they you can't you can't sync up cattle. So AIing is, I mean, if you want to ride on them for a month and and just pull heats, you can AI that way. But you can't collect bulls. So buying semen has to be shipped in from out. Why of the can't country. you sync them up? you need the cedars and, and hormones and stuff to get those right. cattle synced, so, I didn't mm, know if it was maybe
0: because of the, uh, anyway,
2: um, damn, yeah, so, that, w- Sweden was, was really soft, but, I mean, that, that was their own kind of set of problems, like, are they, su- are they super woke? Um, yeah, kind of, I mean, the, the farmers over there are obviously a little different than the general public, but, yeah. But, yeah, it was a pretty, I guess, woke folks over there. Dang. That's sad. Um, Argentina, freedom level. Uh, probably maybe like a four or five. They, they, You could really get lost out there and be away from people if you wanted to, but there's the thing about Argentina that was crazy is like one place I worked on, the government came in uh this was like 10 or 15 years before i was there but they came in and told these people this land is now protected by the government and you can no longer graze it and so they had to sell out all their cattle they still owned the land but they could not graze it so they sold all their cattle and it was 3 or 4 years until there was kind of a regime change that they were allowed to start grazing it again Dang. so so if if it at the right times in Argentina, it's great, but that can always happen down there where where somebody comes in and says, you're done doing this because their government is incredibly corrupt. South Africa? South Africa, I think you could, I, I don't know, probably probably five or six also. They, again, like out on the farms and ranches, you were pretty far away from anything, but there was a, a good friend of mine was telling me, he, he's a veterinarian, and he bought a small ranch of his own when I was down there. And uh, there was all this talk about uh, there's, a, there's a communist party down there that's starting to gain a lot of traction um, in government. And their big thing is um, they want to take back all this land from white folks and redistribute it back to black folks and not pay anybody for, for taking it. So he was seriously concerned that, uh, there was a possibility they could come just take his ranch and say, sorry, you're out. And, and he would not be paid for any of it. And he'd have to just go find somewhere else to live, which that hasn't happened yet. It did happen in Zimbabwe. Um, almost the exact same thing happened in Zimbabwe 20 years ago or 30 years, whenever Joseph Mugabe was in power down there. Um, so hasn't happened in South Africa, but it's still a very real. There's possibility. a lot of
0: violence to those ranchers.
2: Oh yes, yeah. When I was down there, there was uh, they call them the farm murders, and people mobs would just show up in the middle of the night, kill old people, kids. They didn't they didn't care. They'd come. There was a lot of murders happening when I was down there. Mexico freedom level? Maybe a three. The, I, the government was not going to do anything to you down there, but there are way more powerful people down there that will, and they come check in on you. And if you own a gun, the, the, you you don't have to tell the government, but you do have to tell the cartel, and they need to know what it is, where it is. S- same as Africa, kind of. it's That's kind of their governing body. Dang. Man. Got it pretty good over here. Yeah, it's pretty dang nice here.
1: How, uh, like, do you keep up? I mean, obviously, you're well traveled and everything. How do you keep up on world events now? Do you find, like, do, are you kind of, you're more in tune with, seems like, the rest of the world than most people would be. Do you still check in on those places or?
2: I, I do talk to the people in all those places and, um, just check in with them every once in a while. I, I, personally, I don't really watch the news ever. Right. Um, just because it, it's pretty hard to get any kind of good, yeah, read on what's going on. But, um, yeah, they'd, I'd, I'd talk to those people, and they'll tell me just wild stuff. Right. Every time I check in, oh. something crazy's happened down there. So. Right. Man, if you weren't here, where would you go, all things considered? Um, if I was going to live outside the U.S., I'd, pr- I'd probably live in Argentina. Um, but, I mean, there's a pretty strong case for Mongolia, too, uh, at least in the summertime. It gets – Mongolia in the wintertime is is brutal. It's, uh, I mean, Wyoming gets cold. We'll get negative 40, negative 60 up there. But they get that same stuff over there, and they're living in, in canvas tents. Yeah. So it's pretty hardcore in the wintertime in Mongolia. So I don't know if I'd want to live there all the time. But Argentina? Argentina, I just really liked the people, the culture down there. It is a little scary that you could have your, you know, the government could take your land at any point. So that would be the one hold up, but, uh, the culture, that was one of my favorite cultures was Argentina. Is that where all those, uh,
0: um, Nazis went? Yeah. Yep. After did you run into any potential former Nazis?
2: Um, I don't, maybe uh, I did go <laughs> to a, uh, like a, a little German town. Up, I, I can't remember Bariloche is what it's called. And, um, it's just a tourist attraction now. It's like a little little Germany up in the mountains. When I was down there, I had not heard that before, that the Nazis ran off and hid there. So once I I told my brother, he's way more of a World War II buff, and he said, oh, so you actually went to one of those Nazi encampments, and I had no idea, but I'm sure that's what that was. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a tourist place when I was there, but surely the people that like started that town were... Escaped Nazis. Damn. Tim Kennedy and everything. He went down there
1: looking for him. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's just crazy. Like you just find you'll be yeah, going through the countryside and everything and all of a sudden, you know, it's just white
2: people speaking German.
1: Yep. You know, fluently.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. He
0: was over there for two years.
2: Hunting.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think I think I listened to his podcast that you did with him and that was I didn't realize they were still actively hunting Nazis down there. I th- I thought it was a thing of the past until yeah. that. There's still a case that Hitler might have made it down there. Yeah, Just saying. I've I've heard that. Yep. Well,
0: yeah, I didn't know it prior to Tim's book, but I applaud it.
2: <laughs> yeah. You can kill them
0: all. Yeah. <laughs> if, if there's anything that would deserve someone to be hunted this many years
1: later, I think that's it. Yep. yep. Fair point. <laughs> I think that's it. What a uh, so it's like everybody, you know, you talk about a guy's rig, like your saddle or your truck and trailer, or anything, just even just your everyday carry, you know, it's a conglomeration of all the places you've been already and you've been all over the world. Is there anything you carry on a day to day or maybe when you're ranching that's extremely unique? Like maybe only you have it or maybe it has a special meaning?
2: Yeah. Um, the belt I wear every day is a, is a set of hobbles that I got down in Australia that um, I've seen hobble belts here, but this, this one. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. <laughs> I've I've heard of guys wearing
0: hobble belts before.
2: This this one's kind of unique just because of that knife holder. Right. I mean, the, you see these everywhere in Australia. But, really? Um, I've never seen one like that. But plenty of guys got hobble belts up here. But that's kind of my one thing. I um. Just in case your horse needs a knife while he's out there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't use it to cut the hobbles. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Boon.
0: Put it down. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> Boone. Um, the back of the book here says rodeo injuries, bull riding injuries. What
2: happened there? Um, I was I was rodeoing for the University of Wyoming um, my whole way through college, and um, also thank you for the belt. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. I Didn't it. wear one today. So always, <laughs> always wanted one of these. Always anyway university of wyoming um but the worst injuries i got out of that were the head injuries yeah um like bones heal and you know cartilage everything that that ain't that big a deal but i've probably had 12 13 concussions and i could tell as they went on that they were getting worse and um it, it that ended up being what why I hung up my bull rope is because it didn't seem worth it to me anymore. I started getting, that was the first thing I'd think of is I hope I don't hit my head on this ride. Yeah. And you don't need to be getting on if that's the case. You play music? Nope. no. Nope. I, uh, I shoot a lot of music videos for, um, Western kind of cowboy artists. Um, and, but I, 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 run the camera because I can't play a guitar. I got you. And that's how you met Coulter? Uh, I met Coulter at uh, at the Elko uh, cowboy poetry gathering um, at that time I wasn't shooting music videos um, I was just kind of traveling around being a bum living in my van but um, I met him there and then since then we've done some video stuff together
0: nice yeah
2: he did the forward on the book looks like who did your artwork um, her name is Taylor, Taylor Ann. She's, um, I'm not sure where she's from originally, but she was up in Montana when she drew that, that cover art. So year wise, what, uh, what was the time span of years? Uh, I went to Australia in 2000, 2015 and, uh, I, I, Got back from Mongolia in 2019, so 15 to 19, roughly. What'd you get
0: more out of, that four years, or your four years in Wyoming at college?
2: Oh, absolutely, four years <laughs> travel.
0: Oh, you don't say. <laughs> you don't say. Um, so you get back 2019. That's been four years ago. What did, how did this story of four years shape your life for what came after like how did what changed or developed because of that
2: uh it it made me made it impossible for me to stay in one place very long uh, when I gave got back but I had a lot of plans uh for international stuff and then well,
0: well, why is that you have FOMO about the next place or
2: yeah just always wanting to see what's over the next hill I just i I am never content sitting in the same spot, so it—that's not necessarily a good thing. I, I don't know if it's a bad thing either. It's a blessing and a curse, but it's just—I always have to be moving. I always am looking for the next thing, and it's, uh, yeah, it—it it, it makes it pretty hard to have a normal life when when you're that way. So um, I would
0: imagine it might make it hard on a relationship. Yeah. Girlfriend? Nope. Boyfriend?
2: Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> no
0: <laughs> it's, it's cool it's cool <laughs> um, so that's been eight years since the beginning of that yes I can do math
2: yeah <laughs>
0: have you had a girlfriend at any point in those eight years
2: yeah I had I had a girlfriend at the kind of the beginning of this year did but the
0: but I guess I'm just wondering if if the travel like affected any of those relationships
2: yeah especially when I was traveling internationally what it, it wasn't happening. There was there was no way, um, but that, yeah. It's I mean I think it's understandable. Like nobody wants to be with a tumbleweed because you never know when I'm coming or going, and yeah, I don't even know. And they're,
0: they're kind of like they'll stick you in you know, kind of prickly. Dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> <they're> pretty dead. <laughs> dead. <laughs> Not exactly growing. Ouch. <laughs> um, man. What would be like, we usually save this for the end of the podcast, but I, I feel like it'll be longer than one line. What would be like the, the life lesson you took away from the whole experience? Like if you had to wrap it up in like one sentence or two sentences.
2: Um, I think it would be that every, everybody is ranchers at least in the way they do things. Everybody is just doing the best they can with what they've got trying to make a living off the land and that those problems uh, come in different forms for everybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's true in South Texas and North Montana too. I mean, everybody has a very different set of obstacles just as much as a guy ranching in Mexico or a guy ranching in Mongolia. It's all, everybody's just doing the best with what they've got and
0: So being a cowboy personality on the internet and put out a lot of content about ranching in Texas, mainly because that's where I live, (laughs) Um, I get a lot of people that the way they talk to me about, there's like this certain slant on how the, the way that they ranch is superior to the way we do around here. So it gets a little annoying hearing it so often. Like, we like no kidding, the other day, like, why don't you come out here to Pennsylvania? We'll show you how to cowboy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of roll my eyes at it. I get it so often from all over, really more the country. I don't hear it from Australia. I hear it from people in Australia. But what was the, were there people like that on each continent? Or were more people just kind of like, Oh, that's cool. Y'all do it like that. This is how we do it here. Let me hear how you do it. Like, what was the vibe like?
2: Well, I I made a point to not, I don't know that I taught a whole lot of people. Oh, yeah. In other I figured countries. you probably
0: <laughs> would be humble about it. Yeah. Because you're the visitor.
2: Yeah exactly
0: yeah. oh I don't see you going to six different <laughs> companies going okay this is how it's really done I've
1: saddled my fair share of reindeer. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> anyways continue I, I just uh, some some places were more curious about how we did stuff here but it, I w- I wouldn't bring that up in, until somebody asked yeah and and even then I don't know I don't know that I visited any places and I said this is how we do it even when they asked and then they changed the way they did it because I don't know that it, that actually would have worked.
0: Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. No, I guess more just like the way people approach me on the Internet. Via, yeah. and, and usually if they're going to say stuff like that, they're kind of the, the of the Internet anyway. Yeah. I guess I just I wonder if you're going all to the, to these new places, if there was ever like an attitude of like, oh, we'll show you. Like this is how it's really supposed to be done you're from U S you don't know anything. I don't don't know. I just,
2: I mean, Australia was a little bit that way, but I, I think that was less of proving that they were doing it better. And it was more of a a personal thing. Like they wanted to see me struggle and eventually succeed. But they put me specifically in a lot of bad spots just to see what would happen. I got you (laughs) like that. Um, like in a fun way or sometimes not so fun? Sometimes <laughs> not so fun. I mean, that, like that cult. And and make no mistake, I'm not a great horseman or a great cowboy. I have just happened to have fallen off good broke horses in some pretty exotic places. But <laughs> that made people think like, oh, you can ride anything. Or if something needs to be roped, that ought to be you doing it. And I, I'm not particularly good at any of that stuff. So in Australia, like that cult I came off with something that, I learned a lot riding that horse, but he'd been ridden twice before. I don't know if I was really the guy that should have been teaching him anything. Um, and some of it was was more just kind of joking jokingly, but the, the consequences were serious. Like um, there was, in Australia, those guys that were riding four-wheelers, they had big bumpers. You could hit anything with them. So if you were riding through like a grove of trees and not paying attention – They had these really tall, skinny trees that were only probably two, three inches at the base. And if they hit those hard enough, they could hit you horse, they could drop it on you horseback 30 feet away. So if you weren't paying attention, they would, they would dump a tree on your head, which was all funny when your horse just spooked and everybody was fine. But there was also times where people got pretty hurt by coming off their horse or a branch cutting them open. But the other countries didn't have quite that attitude
0: towards you? I don't think so. No. See that that that's the exact scenario I'm describing. I'm thinking like some of these places. Like when they invite me out, like I get the vibe from some of these conversations, and I can only think of like three or four in particular. But like they're inviting me out. People invite me out to hang out with me because they enjoy my videos. Mm-hmm. But some people invite me out because they want to see me fail. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and they want to they want to show me. That what they're doing is superior to what I'm doing, right? And um, I guess I bring that on myself with the personality I have in, <laughs> in some of our videos and some of the ways that we make jokes, and some people don't get those jokes, right? And it makes them mad, yeah, which is hilarious <laughs> because that means they are the person that we are. Yeah, <laughs> they <That you're> made <making laughs> fun <laughs> of them. Oh. But um, anyhow, that that's refreshing to hear yeah. that yeah. that like you. I, I would be genuinely, I mean, like just having, welcoming someone, for instance, here from Mongolia that was recently riding reindeer. I don't know. That's just, I feel like, wow, let me hear about your world. Right. Exactly. I'll show you my world. Yeah. And let's visit. But yeah, I see what you mean. Like there's, I personally don't think I would go to a situation like that prepared to teach them either. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's obviously, I mean, it's a different continent. Right. Just like in Australia, like there's species of snakes down here that we didn't know existed. Right. And they all can kill you. So there's four snakes that'll kill you in North America. How many of
2: them down there would kill you? Do you know? I I don't know how many there are. I know where I was living, I think two or three of the top five most venomous snakes in the world were there. Wow. We had had King Browns. Did you see any of them? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, damn. Almost every day. Almost every day. Yeah. We, we had a, twice we had an inland taipan in our shower. That's oh. that is the most venomous snake in the world. No kidding. It just curled up in the shower. And those snakes are not real aggressive. I mean, they will kill you if they bite you, but. You got to sit on them. They're pretty shy. But they those king browns down there, they get six, eight feet long. And those suckers are really aggressive. Do they, are they, um, do they all hide very well? Um. Yeah, I mean, really the most dangerous points that I had is you'd be, you'd be flying on a dirt bike and it wasn't until the last second you'd see you're about to run over a snake and all you could do is just throw your feet up on the front right, fender. Yeah. And that was when we had the most close calls. But it would have, I mean, they don't make any noise or anything, so... We had a couple of those King Browns come into camp, and it was everybody was bailing up on top of pickups and stuff because we had to end up cutting them up and and get rid of them that way. But, I mean, it was the same thing. We couldn't go near the dirt tanks down there are full of Crocs, but you don't see them, and there's, there's huge Crocs in some of them. Did you see any of those? Yeah, we saw Crocs, and you'd see where they'd slide in and out and everything, but like our water bottles, we didn't have filters. We didn't have any kind of chemicals to clean it out. We were just drinking the same water out of the dirt tanks that the cows were. And our water bottles, to fill them, you just have to have a little piece of rope. And you throw that sucker out there and pull it back because you you're not supposed to stand within like 10 feet of the bank. So you're watering your horse. You just get up, get off, throw your reins up, and let him walk to the water because you don't want to be sitting on him when he gets snapped by a crock. And we, we did have yearlings get snapped, d- drug under I mean, it would be a whack. Did and you then, see it? Yeah. They, they pull them in and then 30 seconds, there's a bunch of swirling water and blood. And then 30 seconds later, it's just calm. Like nothing ever happened. So you could not, I mean, we'd go out fishing. You'd have to stand You way. saw a yearling calf <laughs> yeah. get
0: pulled underwater by a crocodile? Yeah. Dude, <laughs> I'm not, I'm going to have a hard time sleeping tonight. <laughs> like I don't want to go down by my tank now.
1: Dude, imagine sending <laughs> your horse to get water. Watching we, him get snapped. And then just, there was your saddle, there was everything. I mean, oh, sh- there, surely there's times where maybe there's
0: a finger off of the tank and it's obviously like maybe not a crock there. You'd go over there. But yeah. sometimes you got like a full-on body of water, no place but to walk up to it. it or it's like that all the time.
2: It was, I, I never put my feet in water in Australia. Right. I never got that close to it. Because they told me, they and, and it would happen, like, if you're walking up over a, like, if there's a little hill that you can't see the backside of it and sloping down to a tank, if you, I watched it happen to my friend Chuck. He walked right up to the edge, not paying attention, and as soon as he peaked that, two feet in front of him was a 10-foot croc. And that sucker wheeled around and jumped in the water and nothing happened. Thankfully. But, I mean, he he had to change his britches after that. It probably that. scared
0: oh. the croc as much as it scared. Yeah. Yeah,
2: got gotcha. And then there's bull, bull sharks too. I mean, even if you were not in a dirt tank, but you're on some of those rivers, same same thing. They, the first week I was there, we went out fishing, and I hooked a, a lure, kind of hanging over over a, a branch that was hanging over, and they told me I had to go get it off the tree because we didn't have very many, and it's so far into town, and I thought they were serious. And I, as soon as I started walking down there, they're like, man. Do do not go close to the water. And I said, "Oh yeah, crocs. I forgot." And he said, "No, the the bull sharks will get you way faster than the crocs will. Do not go close to that water." So that lure stayed Damn. there.
1: Damn, <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine. I just yeah.
2: There was we went out to the beach to, and we were catching crabs in just the shallow pools. And one of the guys I worked with, we had we used. Baling wire and made little like kind of spears to get these crabs with, and he took his stick thing that he had and just whipped something at me, and I thought it was like a wet Walmart bag or something that had just washed up on the beach, and I just stepped aside at the last second, not really thinking about it, and when it hit, that it was a box jellyfish. Those are the most (laughs) deadly jellyfish in the world, (laughs) and it was just laying that like had washed up on the beach, and he just threw that at me. Assuming I was going to move, but I, I almost didn't. Yeah.
0: Whenever that we were on the coast, whenever we uh, went over there, and we do not go in the water. No. Yeah. Oh, dang. Um. So it made you appreciate the whole thing. Made you appreciate the U.S. Was there any time that you had, like, did you ever almost? You don't seem like a confrontational guy, but did you ever almost get in a fight? It just seems like going across all those personalities.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I I got robbed in Argentina. I got robbed in. Um, like mugged. It, yeah. Well, in Argentina, that guy just broke in. I was asleep in a hostel, and he busted into the the lockbox that I had, and stole all of my cash, all my cards, everything that I had. He left. Thankfully, left my passport. He stole everything, but then he went and bought a bunch of Coke with it and came back two days later after he'd been on a two-day bender and came back, and he was accusing me and one of the other people in that room of stealing his phone charger, and he had taken $800 U.S. cash from me and was pissed about his phone charger. And so when he came back, I was going to kill that guy, but the staff there like got him thrown out and everything and, and that nothing happened there. I did, I had some guys, um, kind of, I, I don't know that they were trying to pull something in in Rome, I was just, I was at like a kind of a bar thing in Rome and they, and I walked down to the end of the block and was walking back and these two local guys came up and one of them put his arm around me and he was trying to be funny. And he said, let me, let me show you this trick. Let me show you a trick and he as i'm taking a step i was just trying to ignore him he stuck his leg in between mine as i separated him to take a step and i at that point like wrestling kind of kicked in because i could feel he was trying to pull me off my center balance and i just dropped and i i smoked this dude onto the ground and he he i left him there with his buddy and i just ran back to where i knew some people and i don't know whatever happened to him i don't Maybe he was joking, but that yeah. I don't think he was. I think didn't he was seem very to, fu- Didn't yeah. seem very funny.
1: You got in a fight in Australia on a bus or something, didn't you? Yeah. Well kind oh, of? Oh, I fight. forgot about
2: that one. Yeah. I well, I don't know if that was really a fight. It yeah. was more just an ass kicking. But, but uh, I didn't mean to bring it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one. Uh, that I had been running with all those guys I ran with were tough, tough dudes out there catching bulls, and so when we came back into town. I wasn't with them anymore. I was flying out a couple of days later. So I was just hanging out with some folks that lived there in the city. And, um, we went to a polo match and, uh, there was a bus that ran back into town to drop us off to our hotel. And, uh, I was with these two girls trying to follow them back to the group. They were the only ones that knew where, uh, everybody else was. I had no cell phone, no nothing. And, um, the two girls went to get off the bus, and they're telling me, "Hurry, hurry! You don't want to get stuck on the bus." As soon as they walked past this big dude, he stepped up in between me and those two girls and stopped me. And I thought he was trying to keep me from getting off the bus. I don't know what he—I don't know exactly what he was actually doing. And I looked at him and I—I I said, "I bet you think you're a real tough, don't you?" And <laughs> He was. He uh, <laughs> he he picked me up and slammed me down on the bus of the on the on the floor, and my ear caught a bolt sticking out of the bus seat and tore it open. And then him and then two or three of his buddies just went to pounding on me, and a bunch of people on the bus pushed them off, and the driver closed the door real fast and sped away. But then at that point, I'm just bleeding everywhere with bumps all over my head and. I don't know where I am. I don't have a phone. Those girls are at that bus stop, and I don't know where the next one is. So I wandered around that town almost all night, just bleeding everywhere, trying to find out where they had gone, and it was pure luck that I walked in front of the hotel, and one of those girls' boyfriends was outside smoking a cigarette and saw me. Otherwise, I would have just walked around that town until they found me. Damn.
1: And then, uh, so I know we keep telling – Stories about Australia, but there's so many good. It's it's a large portion of the book. It's the yeah. beginning, uh, but also you had to escape some wild dogs. Oh yeah, <laughs> had to climb up a pole or yeah. something. Yeah,
2: yeah. So uh, I went with some of my friends into town, and um, they, they, I didn't have a phone, and so they said you can use our phone. Facebook was the only way I was communicating with people back home while I was down there, and uh, so I just wanted to check Messenger and see if any anybody had talked to me and so i they said you just stay right here with the phone and we'll be back in like 10 minutes and they just left me and it's dark in this little aboriginal town and this little dog is walking down the street towards me and and this is a weird thing that i i never thought about this before but if you go to a place where where you are the minority and dogs have never seen like a, a white person before, they are instantly scared of you or or want to attack you. I saw that in Africa, saw that in Australia. So this particular time, this dog walks up, and it started getting close, so I just kind of made a noise or shoot it away. As soon as it did that, that sucker started barking at me. And when he started barking, every dog in town started barking, and they just started coming out of the wood woodworks, <laughs> out of backyards and so I was standing next to a light pole and I, it was all I could do to just scramble up that thing a few feet so they couldn't get me. <laughs> and when the, and finally my friends come back and they thought it was hilarious, but there's 20 or 30 dogs underneath me trying to bite me. And so they pulled up and they. Dude, if they'd have got you <laughs> down, you'd have been dead. Well, yeah, if they would have pulled me down. And so they're like, hurry up, get in. It was a flatbed pickup. So they pulled up somewhat close and so I dropped and just started swinging and kicking and just jumping through these dogs. And I went to go bail on the flatbed, and those guys, thinking it was funny, took off driving about as fast as I could run. And so I I did eventually get on, but it, it tore up my pants and stuff, those dogs pulling at my legs. And, uh, yeah, well, I didn't think it was very funny. No. That's another one of those. I don't think it's funny right now. <laughs> I'm glad Cole likes it.
1: <laughs> Just in the book it makes he, me want to like empty a clip on some dogs, dude. <laughs> yeah. In the book, when he's when he's talking about it, you just I just started kicking, and you could just see little dog you know dogs <laughs> yeah. flying everywhere, dude. I would.
0: <laughs> I usually have a hard time, like I don't I don't like putting animals down, but something like that, I would have no remorse. <laughs> I would yeah. sleep like a baby that night. Yeah, I wouldn't think I'd forget about it. Like as soon as we changed. Dude. No remorse. <laughs> I would feel no remorse.
1: It sounds like the, the guys in Australia, and you talked about it, you already talked about it on the podcast, but in the book, too, I mean, they were always playing jokes, and the helicopter pilots would buzz you, scare your yep. horse with the shadow and everything. Yep. Uh, and obviously, here in America, I mean, granted, yeah, I work with a comedian, too, but everywhere you go, like, that's how your buddies, you know, that's how you treat the guys around you. Like, yeah. you're always giving them guff. Was there anywhere else that did that? I mean were they like that? It seemed it didn't seem like it in your in your book.
2: Yeah, mostly I I think also probably part of that is that a lot of that is lost in translation if you guys don't speak the same language. Ah. So people can still I mean there was still some joking around and stuff, but I think there was m- more of that in Australia because that was the only place I went where we could clearly understand each other. Right. In in Argentina my Spanish was okay and Mexico, my Spanish was much better, but even in those places, there—I mean, there was some a little bit of ribbon, but it—it right. it, it was never—not like Australia, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I don't know that that would have happened in the city, though. I mean, like yeah. those guys were total kind of outlaw outcasts. Like they—they they did not—they were not allowed in town. That's why they were doing the job they were doing. So they were pretty rough dudes. Dang, they're the ones that got them. 200 years ago, genetics, and oh, yeah. still, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, I mean, there was, we went to uh, what was the name of that town, Cloncurry. We went to, I went there with a couple guys that were Bronx, well, they rode Bulls and Bronx, and they were entered in that rodeo, and uh, they ended up getting into a big fight with the cops, like, they fought a bunch of cops, and uh, we, we got handed notices that we were not allowed back in Clone Curry ever again. <laughs> they went to jail. I did not, but I had to sleep on the police station steps and wait for him to get out. And then they told us, D- do not ever let us catch you in this town again. <laughs> so that was not a first for them, and that was why they lived out there in the middle of nowhere. Dang. Interesting. Yep. Are there uh,
1: – so we always talk about in- – Obviously, DB, like interns, you know, we're always traveling around, going somewhere. And when it comes to cowboy etiquette, you know, DB's, like he just worded it. But, you know, he follows the strictest cowboy etiquette because no matter what, that'll keep you out of trouble the most. You know, mm-hmm. don't ride in front of people, shut yeah. gates, you know, that sort of thing. What about, was there any cowboy etiquette maybe from America that translated well in all those other countries? Or maybe, you know, it showed up again and again?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that. I don't know if people take it as serious in other places, but you still dang sure don't ride in front of people. Right, um, anywhere I went, that was I, n- I. never saw people do that.
1: Right. Um, Did you hear that? Whoever there's a new
2: intern listening
1: to this podcast right no now. No kidding. All around the world, don't yeah. ride in front of people. If we're all
0: standing in a semicircle <laughs> and you need to go forward, <laughs> you go behind the circle <laughs> to get to your destination.
2: Huh. Yeah, there, the and and the gate thing too. I mean the places where there was gates. Right. Not a lot of a lot of the places I was didn't have a lot of fences or gates. But it right. was that was pretty serious too. Like if the last guy's shutting the gates, everybody waits on him to get on their horse. Yeah. Yeah. Or reindeer. Or your reindeer. <laughs> not if you're on a if you're on a dirt bike though, Australians do not wait for you. <laughs> you better just get that sucker kicked <laughs> up and catch up. But um yeah that and and then I think also it goes a long long way everywhere you go to, to be kind of humble and grateful for, for just being there. Right. I mean, I don't think that if like, if you're visiting somewhere and there's a job that needs to be done, I don't, I don't think that you need to be asked to do that. Right. Just, just get up and go do it. I mean, if, if it's something you're capable of and understand. Yeah. Like just take go. out
0: the trash in a camp.
2: Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that, that, like you're, you're a guest, you're not from there. And a lot of times those people are doing you a solid by even letting you be there. Yeah.
0: You're, so, you're probably slowing things down a little bit. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It,
0: as a general rule of thumb. Yeah. I'm sure there's instances where you, you were more helpful than the average tourist. Yeah. Like somebody that comes in wanting to experience it. You can probably ride a lot better than just random people that show up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine they were all pretty grateful, especially maybe the first couple of days I could see people being skeptical. But I imagine after a couple of days they realize like, okay, this guy's, like you said, humble, he's he's willing to work and he's going to be a good hand. You get settled in, there would probably be a little bit of an attitude change right? by the host.
2: Yeah. And there was, there was one particular, I don't know if I talked about this in the book, but there, I mean, this was probably one of the best lessons I ever learned. Um, When I was in Australia pretty early on, the guy I worked for was a hard dude to work for. I mean, he was—he could be pretty mean at times or or just say nothing and you knew you were in big trouble. Um, Like, for example, getting dumped off that colt, they told me don't ride motorbikes or horses for the next two, three weeks. And I went back and told him that. And he said, well, you can pack your shit because what are you going to do around here? We got to cook. So you're getting back on that same horse in the morning. Yeah. So, I mean, he was just kind of a tough dude, but there was one time where uh, a bunch of uh, yearlings took off out of the bunch, and they would go hunt the brush and try and get away sometimes. And I, I this day I was riding a pretty old, slow horse, and they took off. Everybody saw it. I was whipping and spurring for all I was worth. I was nowhere even close to being able to turn them back, and they got to the brush, Um, And as soon as they got into the brush, I pulled up and I figured they're gone. There's nothing I can do about that. And he rode up and he was like, man, if you're going to work here, you you cannot quit on yourself. You cannot quit on your horse. You cannot quit on us like that. Now now what are we going to do? Those cattle are going to be mavericks for the next year, maybe 10, because they just learned that they could just run off and you need to go after them. And I felt terrible that day because of that and that so that when I did get dumped off a colt, it was the exact same situation and I was whipping and spurring harder than I should have been and that's why I got dumped. Exact same thing, trying to turn some bulls back into the bunch.
1: Dang. I know I know that
2: feeling. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: I think I think anybody who works cows does, you know, especially learning like that. That but that's a good that's a solid lesson.
2: Yeah. And and that was my first time really around like really wild cattle like that right back home nothing's trying to take off into the brush and right yeah i mean they've been gathered out of those pastures for 40 years they they know exactly where they're going nothing's too crazy and so that like having stuff just all of a sudden boom you got 10 of them running the opposite direction i'd never seen that so it was a good learning experience yeah i could see how like in your mind with your history of dealing with
0: cattle like you're just like all right this is over it's time for me to stop but then when he gives you that speech it's more of like you don't be a quitter yeah and i could see how that would humble you because it's like you're not failing at a task is one thing but not trying hard enough yeah exactly it's completely different yeah 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 i'm and i'm so that was early so I'm sure you I mean you're still talking about it now so obviously you learned a lesson that day did that carry over to other situations in the on the on the, on the other continents where it kind of kept you out of trouble or was he the really one of the only hard asses
2: he he was probably the only real hard ass but there was um, there was I mean that same guy there was a time where I got up and we were out of out of our bedrolls before the sun was up and you were ready to go. And if you did not want anybody waiting on you, and there was one particular morning where nature called and I had to run off into the bushes with a shovel and take care of business. And I came back and everybody was waiting on me. And he said, you shit on your time because you're working for me and now we're all waiting for you. Do not ever let that happen again. So after that, I was up an hour earlier than everybody else. <laughs> ne- it never again happened, but yeah. because of that, then I would get up before everybody else every morning, and then that turned into a lot of the guys on the crew being terrified to oversleep, and it became my job to go around and make sure everybody was right. was awake. And, uh, I mean, that just doing stuff like that gave me a lot of friends. I mean, people appreciate little things like that.
0: Where was it the most lax?
2: um prob probably in Mongolia um I didn't really have a boss while I was over there I wasn't um answering to anybody but also stuff just gets done whenever it gets done over there that they um everybody everybody's so independent that it's there wasn't a whole lot of team stuff happening there where it was just kind of like you do your thing I'll do my thing so people were pretty pretty chill and easy going over there
0: once I get done with old man in the sea, I'm going to have to crack this one open. Um, sweet. What other podcasts have you been on lately to talk about this book?
2: Um, I did uh, converse cowboy. Um, I did one with danger, Dan. I don't know if he, he's out of like Weatherford area. That's more of like a biker podcast. He's a long distance motorcycle rider. Um, that Devin Riley, who's doing my, my podcast, he has a podcast called Blazing Trails that he does. Um, what else have I done? I did a Colt Wrangler radio show in Austin.
1: Uncle Joe hasn't called yet?
2: No, not yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He'll get there. He wants Colter Wall on a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, when did the book come out?
0: Came out the beginning of March. How old were you in 2019 or 2015 when
2: all this started? I was 15, 21. Wow. So when I, when I took off doing this, my, my goal was once I made it a goal to go to all six, I wanted it done by the time I was 25. Yeah. And, uh, I was like 25 and a half when I showed up in Mongolia. So I, Six months later than I expected, but that that's the time frame roughly twenty, twenty one to twenty five.
0: Yeah. So what's what's next?
2: I don't really know. A, a lot of my um, energy now, time and energy, has gone into this music project that I've been working on. I I just go around. It started out as I got a bunch of cowboy buddies who are musicians, and I was surprised that there was really n- very little or no content of those people playing music. So uh, it started out with just a couple guys I knew. Um, I went out and shot some video with them, and it just snowballed and took off. So that that's more or less what I do for a living now. I try and go back and help my grandpa as much as I can on the ranch, but I spend a ton of time on the road uh, traveling with bands, shooting live shows, but also doing ac- acoustic music videos with people wherever i can um any more books in your mind to write i i do have a an idea maybe for the next one uh i i think the next thing that i'll probably put out is i i did take quite a few pictures while i was traveling um so i think i might have like just a coffee coloring table. book oh
0: coffee book yeah of <laughs> yeah, course like, of course
2: maybe a coloring book too <laughs> yeah coffee book
0: yeah yeah um I was about to ask something else, but my own joke made me laugh so much I forgot (laughs) it. I (laughs) do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So immediately, where are you going? Like, where are you going for the rest of the day and what's the rest of the week? What are your plans?
2: Uh, I was going to go try and find Leroy Gibbons and shoot a music video with him. Oh, yeah, that's right. He told me that. That's right. He told me that. So probably do that today. I got to be in Denver this weekend. Coulter's got to show up there that I'm going to go try and. Catch him at. Also, uh, Summer Dean happens to be playing the same same time, same place. So go yeah. hang out with those guys. Um, and then I plan on being in Cody, Wyoming for the Fourth of July. So just nice. be just be heading north,
0: making the rounds. Yep. Well, thanks for coming by uh, Radiator Ranch. We're at the Dell Warehouse right now. Homer Rodeo Time Incorporated, the Apparel Line. Check out rodeotime.com. And where do they go to get the last cowboy? The lost
2: cowboy? Uh probably the easiest place is just on Amazon. You can search it on Amazon. Sweet.
0: The Lost Cowboy. How do you say your last name? Zelki. And uh on the book you're going by J B? Yeah. But you like to be called Jake? Uh you go by J B or Jake?
2: I my friends call me Jake. Gotcha. That's what I just thought So of. you consider me one of your friends? I I do now. That makes seven. I Um. just, the reason I did that is because of of, uh, Lonesome Dove. That's how their names are written on the signs. Also,
0: I meant that makes seven friends that I have, (laughs) not you.
2: (laughs) I am Jake's seventh friend. Uh, Sorry, anyhow, Lonesome Dove. Yeah, I just thought uh, that's like how old cattlemen used to do it, and I always thought that was kind of interesting, so. That's how they did it on Lonesome Dove, so that's how I wrote my name on the book.
0: Nice, um, The Lost Cowboy by J. B. Zelk, Zelke, 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 Z i e l k e, with forward by Coulter Wall. Awesome. Um, this is your copy. Yeah, but I can have it. Nope. <laughs> can I get you to sign my copy here? Absolutely. I
1: knew you were going to say that. I should have just bought two. Should
0: have <laughs> just, <laughs> just <laughs> make it out to Dale. So. Cole won't mind. Uh, thank you guys for listening Thank you guys for watching uh, Please uh, text podcast to nine four zero three five three zero eight nine zero. 353 890 Follow uh, Jake on all things social media We'll tag him below in the description Check out The Lost Cowboy uh, When do you think the audio book will come out? We're shooting for August Nice Look out for it there too We are on to the Oh yeah, life advice Do you have anything else you didn't say?
2: Mm. Life advice uh, I don't know if it's really advice. I I guess uh, anybody listening, though, no, I hope uh, hope you win all those battles that nobody knows you're fighting.
1: Mm.
0: Dang. Well, I like what he said about what, no matter what continent you're on, whenever you go somewhere, be humble and work hard, mm. and that's how you'll be welcomed. Donnie, can you roll this music? I know we can dub it in, in the edit, but I like to hear it at the end. We are on to the next one, people. Palpa.